Welcome to Excel Leadership, an organization devoted to navigating enterprise on the high seas. Core values, core leadership, and core training. Dr. Bill Purvis is the leader of one of America's megachurches, a highly sought after motivational speaker and founder and CEO of Excel Leadership. Businesses and industries today spend enormous amounts of money on training and wonder why they aren't seeing the results of these expenditures. Excel Leadership delivers results. Excel Leadership challenges you to grow in your personal life, leadership skills, and alignment of core values to achieve your maximum potential. Let's listen in as Bill speaks to a live audience of people just like you who are eager to grow in their leadership skills. Today I want to talk to you for a moment about uh, attitude. And I, I, I'm a firm believer in it. Today we're going to look at sky-high attitude. That is how to get that attitude that really gets up there it makes something happen, and, uh, and I think it's the one thing all of us have a choice about. So let's zip right through this one today, okay? I mentioned there in the beginning, it's not, it's not your aptitude, but your attitude that determines your altitude. If you're a pilot, some of you work over here at the airport, you understand that. If you're flying in an airplane, they have a little uh, indicator, uh, kind of like right beside the fuel and all the rest. They have an indicator that's called an attitude indicator. And what it does is it shows you where you are on the horizon. If you get a nose-down attitude, your plane goes down. If you get a nose-high attitude, your plane goes up. And so you ascend or descend based upon the way that your attitude indicator shows that you ought to go. Now, in life, it's the same picture. If I get a nose-high attitude, life goes up. I get a nose-down attitude, it goes down. And so I, I can't choose what comes to me, but I can choose the attitude. And the people that seem to make it the furthest in life are not those that had all the aptitude. Uh, have you ever gone back to your, uh, your high school reunion? You know, when you get old enough, you go back to 20-year reunion, and you'll meet all these folks that you thought they were going to come out of the chute and change the world, and, and they never got any far. You know, and they, would, they were just kind of like those bottle rockets that were duds. And you said, what happened to you? And then you see the people that you never realized would go as far, and, and look where they went. And, and I think a lot of it comes back to how they handled the situations that came their way. And so there's three differences between successful and unsuccessful people. Three differences. Let me give you those three, okay? Number one is thinking. Thinking is one of them. There is a, I would encourage you to do something to learn how to think, uh, to learn how you think. Uh, it's not enough just to say, I think, and use our brains. All of us know we have to learn to think. But you got to figure out how you think. I did this one day with a staff. I walked in a room and said, everybody in the room, I assume, thinks, but I'm not sure everybody thinks the same. That's why we don't get on the same page. And so I gave them just a quick scenario and said, you have, you have strategic thinkers. They are people that think of strategy. They don't, they don't think creatively. They don't think of the big vision, but they think this is how I get from A to here, to, to B, or from this point to that. And they're strategic thinkers. And you have possibility thinkers. Those are the kind of people that they... They look at something and say, how can, we, how can we break into a new market? What can we do that nobody else is doing? Uh, I saw the other day the story of Charbroil here in, in Columbus. With it. Many years ago, they were, uh, they were in, in, the, uh, in a business where, where they, they were creating a lot of uh, iron and stuff like that, but it wasn't necessarily in the Charbroil business, and it wasn't in the grill business. But they realized people are starting to like to grill outdoors and that some of the things we have now, the, the things that we're structured for is going to be obsolete so they decided, we're going to get in that industry, and they did. You know what that was? Somebody was thinking possibility. They thought, how do I think differently? 
And so there's different kinds of thinking. There's really about, I think, seven or eight of them. It's creative thinking. You know, people that can, can look at something and get so creative. You know, that's, that's really what uh, Bill Gates did. And Bill Gates made his money not by repairing computers, but Bill Gates made his money by creatively thinking, if it's going to land in everybody's house, what can I do to piggyback off that and give them what they need and they can't live without? And that's what he did. And so the first difference I always see between successful and unsuccessful people is successful people are not just going through life blindly or with their brains checked at the door, but they're literally thinking and generally always thinking. Uh, I mentioned here that they're thinking about their problems and how to approach them. They don't just hope it works out. They try to make sure it works out. In your box, I wrote, hope and worry are not strategies, and they're not. You ever think about what you worry about? I asked a guy the other day, I said, uh, I said tell me about the crisis in your life. How would you get from one crisis to another? And he's a pretty successful guy. He said, Bill, go back into your life and think about it. At every stage, we had a crisis that we thought was the major event. He said, you remember when you were 16, you know, the car was the big thing, you know? Remember when you broke up with your first girlfriend? That was the big crisis. He said, at every stage of your life, you look back, you'll find a place that at that point, that was the biggest crisis you'd ever have. He said, and you handled it. He said, whatever your crisis was last week was probably your big one. And he said, now, what you have to understand is this. We've wasted a lifetime worrying. He said, we spent a whole lifetime worrying about things that ultimately worked out anyway. He said, but I see too many people that never learned after the first 10 crises, after the first 10 problems about worry, they're still worrying about the next thing that comes down the road. He said, in the end, I've discovered life's better for me if I just put this worry stuff on the back burner and I just work on trying to do the best I can to get out of it. And I think he's right. You think of how much you burn up, how much energy you waste in the worry stage. And generally, what's it going to change anyway? And so uh, that's, why, that's why the thinking part's up. Now, the second thing I'll tell you is this. The second blank is the word feelings. Um, if I'm going to have the right attitude and if I'm going to be successful, I've got to learn how to think right, but i also got to learn how to handle my feelings. And handling your feelings is this. Most people, most people make decisions based on emotions. Uh, Toyota has tagged it. You know, oh, what a feeling. And, and you car dealers, I mean, you know this. Car dealers know if they can get you to sit in that car and smell that car and feel that luxury and listen to that stereo and ride those soft tires, chances are real good you'll bump up your payments, you know. And, and, and I had a car salesman tell me one time, he said, the hardest people to sell are accountants. And I said, why? He said, because they have no feelings. He said, <laughs> they're looking at facts. They're looking at numbers. They're wondering, when I pay for this and I pay this price, he said, it's hard to get accountants to get in that thing and to feel what we feel. But, but you know what we do? We buy by emotion. We buy by feeling. And that's, and that's the, the expression. Now, nothing wrong with that, but you've got to learn to keep those feelings also in control. Uh, you, you saw it Monday night. How, how many of you watched the Monday night football game and saw that? Wasn't that classic? Uh, and I love Tampa Bay. I mean, I love Tampa Bay. All my folks are from down, down in that area, so we're Tampa Bay folks. Well, of all things, Indianapolis Colts are down by, by 21 points in the first quarter, and, uh, and then they come back and get seven, then get, get uh, run up on to 35 to seven. And in the last quarter of the game, 
Peyton Manning comes out there and starts throwing the ball like he's been asleep all the game. I mean, just one after, and they wind up winning the game. Going to overtime, they win. And, and when they interviewed him later, he said, my dad always taught me that the greater the pressure, the calmer to be. And boy, I just thought, isn't that awesome? He said, the greater the pressure, the calmer to be. I mean, I, I don't want to break it under pressure. What he was saying is I want to master my feelings. When, when, it's all, when it's all getting chaotic and getting unwired, you know, here I am on this Monday night football playing a major team. The greater that pressure is, the calmer I need to be. It makes a difference. The Bible says it this way. The Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath. Many years ago, there was a guy, he's dead now. He's a dear friend, but his name was Charlie Jones. Charlie was a drill sergeant out here at Fort Benning. Charlie didn't know anything but to call people by the last name and call their mom and daddy names. And, you know, I mean, when Charlie got mad, you know, he just, he attacked everything. And one day I had read that verse. And the verse said, a soft answer turns away wrath. And I knew Charlie was coming to see me about a supposed problem. So when he came into the room, he starts yelling. He's calling me names. He's saying everything I ever did was stupid. He couldn't believe how dumb I was. You know, I must have a degree in stupidity. And, I mean, he was just on and on. But I, I, the whole time, you know, I know Charlie loves me, and I love Charlie, so it's not personal. So I'm, I'm looking at him, and I'm saying, I'm going to try this. And so I said, and I lower my voice. I said, now, now, Charlie, tell me again, what was it you're mad about? And then he starts going through his motion. But he's not as loud as he was. And then a few minutes later, I said, Okay, I'm trying to get this right, Charlie, and I'm whispering. Because that verse said, a soft answer turns away wrath. I said, I'm trying to get this right. And what I'm doing is I'm trying to take it down. Instead of out yelling, I'm just literally on purpose the whole time playing him like a game. And I'm saying, I'm going to get lower and lower. In a few minutes, old Charlie did this. He said, Bill, what are we whispering for? <laughs> and I said, I was just practicing a verse. I want to see if it worked. And it, and it really did. See, a danger is if you don't control your feelings and you go into a discussion with somebody, it's like they throw gas on a fire, you throw gas on it, they throw gas. The more gas you throw, the more somebody's going to be, be burned. And so the greatest way is to learn to handle your feelings. Now, I mentioned you, successful people know that their attitude determines their feelings. If your attitude's good and, and your attitude's healthy, I mean, you can say sometime, hey, I dropped the ball on that one, didn't I? You know, I mean, that's Okay. It's all right. You can separate what you did from who you are. Now, unsuccessful people allow their feelings to determine their attitude. Sometimes the lower a person's self-esteem, what happens is, is they tie themselves to their projects. And the danger of that is if it's going good, they feel good. If it's going bad, they feel bad. You can't tie your self-esteem to your work because if you do, you're in for a roller coaster ride. You got to be able to back off and say, that doesn't evaluate who I am. Who I am is a good, honest, caring person that gives my best. Now, work today may not have made me look so good, but that's okay. That doesn't change who I am. And you have to learn to keep your self esteem disconnected from your job success. If you don't do that, it'll take you up when it's up and down when it's down. Now, Charles Swindoll wrote this many years ago, and this is probably one of the most powerful statements I've ever seen. I'm really glad that we got to include this one in here. It's the power of attitude. He said, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude is more important than facts. It's more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think or say or do. It is more important than appearance, gift, or skill. It will make or break an organization, a school, or a home. The remarkable thing is that we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. 
We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the string we have, and that's our attitude. I'm convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And so it is with you. We're in charge of our attitude. That's one of the classic statements, probably the best thought-through statements that I've ever seen on attitude. Let me tell you these three things about attitude. Attitude is a choice, so take responsibility for it. You know, our attitude is a choice. You get to choose today. It, your, your attitude is the thermostat of, of your life. You can, you can regulate the atmosphere. You ever been around somebody that's got a bad attitude, everything's going great, and they come in with a bad attitude, and they poison the whole room? Now, don't ever hire somebody that does that regularly, okay? I mean, that's just dumb. I mean, it, it, think about it this way. Who would give somebody a check for having a stinking attitude and saying, here's a check for hanging around here and poisoning the atmosphere and making all of us feel rotten. Come back next week, we'll give you another check for making us feel just as bad. You know, I think, who's the dummy here? I think their attitude ought to be evaluated just like the other skills. And if the attitude stinks, say, you may perform, but the fact is nobody wants to work around you, so you need to find another place to go because we intend the best we can to make a bad situation better by having good attitudes through it. Uh, the, the other two things I'll tell you there, and I mentioned this one last week in the notes, but it fits in here well. Avoid negative people. Don't, don't give your energy. You wake up every day with a certain amount of energy. And, and so you can only spend it a certain way. It's like gas in your tank. You can drive as far as you want in any direction, but you've only got so much gas. You've only got so much energy. If you waste energy on people who don't intend to make life better and all they want to do is drain your life, then, then that's a foolish mistake to make. Number three is have a grateful attitude. I don't think anything will help you better than probably being grateful for where you come. Don't ever forget where you came from. Man, I, I look back all the time. I said, I was a boy from Eufaula, Alabama. You know, I mean, literally, Eufaula, Alabama. If you've ever been through there, you didn't stop for anything, you know. I mean, what, what was there in that place? And I had it blessed. I had a good mom and dad, and, and they, you know, good heritage and good family name. But they, they refused to ever let me, they refused to let me mooch off of it. I remember my dad one time, I, he was in England for a month, and so he asked me to write his tax. I'd only been married about three months, and we, had a, we lived in a, he made us. He wouldn't give us a penny. I mean, we'd, we got married. We didn't get things good. I had an old police car I bought, paid $500 for it. You get in the back seat of it, you couldn't get out. And, I, and, I, and we lived in a double-wide trailer. And my dad just said, you're going to make it on your own. Now, he's got money stored everywhere, but he wasn't giving me none and none of the kids. And I'll never forget that. He was gone to England for a month. And he asked my wife, he said, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to pay my taxes. He said, would you just make sure you pay your taxes? Well, came time to pay his taxes. His taxes were enormous. I mean, they were up in the six figures. It was phenomenal. And my wife called over to England and said, are you certain this is what they said? He said, pay it, pay it. Yeah, that's all right. Go down there. That account says do that, didn't pay it. She wrote a check and said, Bill, I am not believing how much money your daddy had. I said, I, I know. Said, and think, he never gave us none. <laughs> you know, I love my dad, but that's, you know. And, and so, so then came time for my taxes. My taxes in those days, they came up to, it was like $1,400, which was all the money in the world to me at that time. I mean, I had nothing. You got to imagine driving an old police car, living in a double-wide trailer. So, so I went, and I sat down with my dad, took him to the Bonanza restaurant on Victory Drive. I sat down with him. I leaned across the table, 
I've been married only about six months. I said, Dad, I've never asked you for a dime. You got money, you got land in Texas and Louisiana, and you fall in Florida. And, you know, you, I've never asked you for a penny. He said, I know. And, and, and I had bought him a steak. Now, for me, that was a hard deal. But I bought, and I had me a steak, he had him a steak. And I said, but I owe $1,400 on taxes, and I don't know where in the world to get it. And I said, and I know you could help me. So I was just going to ask you, for the first time in my life, you know, would, would, could you help me here? I said, because I'm in a mess. My dad looked across the table, cut his steak, and said, you are in a mess. <laughs> and he kept eating. <laughs> and to this day, he says, if I hadn't have done that, he said, I didn't want to do that. You would have never learned how to make it on your own. But he didn't give to me what I thought. And I was thinking, well, didn't give me back my steak. You know? <laughs> Take it back to the kitchen, save me three more bucks. I'm grateful for a man today in his 80s who loves me but said, I am not going to allow you to get by without using all you've got in life of your own. You're not going to mooch off mine. You've got to use yours. And, and, and in the early days, I thought he was cruel. Today, I respect him so much. I'm not as hard as he was. And my kids, I hope, will go further. But I still give in much more than my father ever did. And, and I, I respect and admire that he loved me so much he wouldn't let me get by with that. And, and what it does, it gives you a grateful attitude. It makes you grateful for everything you got. Now, let me mention the, uh, the others. The last page, I mentioned the, the first two there with the thinking and, the, uh, and, uh, and beyond that, the feelings. Number three, a difference between successful and unsuccessful people is, is doing. D-O-I-N-G, just doing. There's something about getting the plan and then acting on it that makes a difference. That's why successful people do this. They take action. That's the next thing in your blank. While unsuccessful people take a wait and see approach. You know, and you know what they do? They wait and see it go by, you know, where successful people just look, this is what I'm going to do, and this is where I'm going to go. Now, uh, I mentioned in your box that the law of a harvest is a true law you can't stop or prevent. You always reap what you sow. You always reap more than you sow, and you always reap later than you sow. You know, a farmer goes out and puts something in the ground. Well, he reaps what he sows, but he reaps more, and he reaps later. And so whatever you invest in now, it's always tough on the front end, but you invest in now, and you'll get it back later. And it'll start coming, and, and if you keep planning, you'll still keep getting. And then the other thing about attitude is attitude is, is contagious. It's really contagious. That is, if you get a contagious attitude and you really make it go, what takes place is now is it will, it will cause others around you to catch it. That's all it takes. All it really takes is one somebody in that, in that organization, in that office, who says, man, I'm on fire for this, I'm happy about this, and to turn the rest of them. And that's all it takes is one. And so sometimes you may have to do it this way. If you feel like your organization, the temperature of it is down and you're up, but you feel like you're fighting with it, what you have to do is pull one or two aside privately and say, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get out and spread the good news. And I want you to do these things to let everybody else kind of catch what you got. You get on fire and spread it among them. Ultimately, they'll get on fire. And what happens is, is you'll have the whole organization up. You want to make it so that people that have a bad attitude don't feel comfortable in your environment. You know, I mean, it, your place of work ought to be like home on the range. Never's heard a discouraging word. You know, it ought to be that, man, this thing's going so well. You know, this is not the place to gripe. This is the place we jump in and we do it. And, and if you do it right, it'll be the kind of attitude you can say, man, I got to love it. Why custom, companies lose customers? They, they mentioned this for you in the notes. 1% die, 3% move away, 5 for other, uh, other friendships. 
nine competitive prices, 14% dissatisfaction, but 68% quit because of an attitude of indifference toward them by some employee. And you'll be amazed at how many people say, I'm not going back there because somehow they didn't get the kind of reception they should. So my word to you today is this. Decide, I don't have control over everything, but I got it over one thing, my attitude. And I'm going to walk out and I'm going to make it a good day. And if it's, not, if it's not the best day, you know, that's all right. I'll make the best of it. And no matter what happens, I refuse to give up my attitude to circumstances. And you can find yourself happier than those around and going further and, and gaining energy if you'll work on the attitude side. It ought to be the best thing that you can do. That's why I like David when he came up and spoke a moment ago. That day I sat with him and he said at breakfast, you know, this is what I do. I said, David, I don't want to offend you, but we just went with another company. We're going to buy about 40 phones today, and it's going to be from your competitor. And right then I could tell, I, I knew, I'll know right now whether David's a winner or a loser based on how he responds to that. He never batted an eye. Man, that's all right. Let me tell you, it's my fault. I should have come by there earlier, but I didn't want to impose on you. But don't you worry about that. They're a good company. You give it a try. And the whole time he's doing that, I'm saying, now, nah, I'm going to tell you, this guy is good. It's kind of that, that what is it, the, the Avis car rental company? I used to love their commercial. Hertz was number one. They were number two. They never attacked Hertz. Their motto was, we, we don't attack hurts, we just try harder. And I always liked it about them. That'll tell a whole lot. Your attitude will determine your altitude. So have a nose high one, okay? If you are listening to a borrowed copy of this lesson, consider becoming an Excel Leadership member. Visit our website at www.excel-leadership.com. That's xcel-leadership.com or call 1-800-474-9235. Each month, you'll receive an audio lesson, informative lesson outlines, an attractive library-quality storage binder to organize your material, plus an opportunity to purchase Excel Leadership Mentoring Tools at a discount. Don't miss out on future lessons. Contact Excel Leadership today at www.excel-leadership.com. Excel Leadership, providing you with professional leadership training.